Hello, and welcome to the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR, and today we have a very, very special guest. This is one of the oldest friends of the show, true old-school DFS guys. Remember him from Star Street. True old-school best ballers know him from Draft. And of course, now, everyone knows him from Underdog. It is Jeremy Levine. Jeremy, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. Psyched to be back. It was uh, just about three years ago. I think it was right when we launched uh, Underdog that I was last on. So what a, what a crazy last three years it's been. Yes. If you guys aren't familiar with Jeremy, I highly recommend you go back and listen to him on episode 82 of this very podcast. We talked about his background and everything, how he got started and how uh, Underdog came to be, what happened to draft, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're not going to go back over all that background here today, but I think you guys will enjoy episode 82 if you're listening to this and haven't listened to it before. All right. As we get into it here today, Jeremy is, of course, the founder of Underdog, which has completely taken the world by storm. And honestly, like, I thought it would be successful because I was playing MFL 10s, like way before this was even like an idea. I was playing MFL 10s. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I'm at a stage in my life. I don't want to trade. I don't want to do waivers. I don't want to, I just want to draft. Drafting is the best part of fantasy. That, that's what I love to do. I knew it would be popular. I never thought in a million years that the, that the valuation of Underdog would get completely mind-blowing, that you would fill 100,000-person contests in 24, 48 hours, et cetera, et cetera. Has the way the best ball boom has gone exceeded your expectations, Jeremy, or is this kind of what you align, thought all along? Definitely. Um, I, I did not think we'd be running a $15 million tournament this year or in our third full year um, and just seeing how fast things fill. I forget the exact stats, but I think we basically did more entries in, in this BBM than we did in the very first BBM in like the first 48 hours or something mind-blowing like that. Like the it's been it's been so cool to see the the adoption of best ball and the growth of best ball and i think it keeps on going uh other than etr promoting best ball which is obviously a massive massive factor do you (laughs) what do you attribute the success to of this best ball boom because honestly like you guys are the biggest but there's other best ball sites doing really well now like everybody is like playing best ball now what do you think is going on Look, it, it's something. It's something we realized as we started to offer the game, and and just saw people engaging with it um, back at draft. Is it's, in my opinion, it's the most fun form of fantasy. Um, I love fantasy sports. I played fantasy sports my whole life, but the management gets taxing. Um, you can only do so much of it because of the management, right? You can't if you're taking it seriously. Two, three, four, five. That you can't. You can't be in eight leagues. That's a full time job if you're really taking it seriously. And um, everyone, I mean, you ask people, I ask people very often, what's your favorite part of fantasy? And th- there's a good answer, which is, is a rare answer, which is winning. Um, but nine out of 10 times, the answer is the draft, right? And, and it, it's, it's everyone's favorite part of the experience. Um, and obviously, best ball is just, it brings you to draft without the management. You can do as many of them as you want. And it's just, it's such a fun format and a way to play fantasy. And I mean, I'm constantly, I, I love the slow draft. Because it's hard for me to find 40 minutes or an hour to dedicate to a draft. Yep. But you can enter as many of them as you want. Eight-hour pick clock, it pauses overnight. And for me, I'm in, I think I probably have eight or so going right now. 
right? And and at any given time, you can have as many as you want. You got to pick up your phone once a day and make picks. It's such a fun way to just be involved in the off season. A hundred percent. I'm curious. It came to me. Is it good for underdog when known people win? Like Justin Herzig works with us. Uh, he won mm-hmm. best ball mania one. Packerain used to work with us. He's obviously well known in this space. Also, do you think it's good when those guys win, or is it better if some random wins? Because it's like, oh, anybody, anybody has a chance. Um, I don't, I don't know that it matters much. I mean, I think there's there's pluses and minuses to any winner, and and everyone's going to be kind of unique in that. But I don't think I don't think it has a huge impact. I mean, we haven't, we certainly haven't attributed any of of the growth or any any of the lack thereof at any points to, oh, this was the winner of the last tournament. Yeah, for sure. Um, It still feels somewhat early, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have numbers on this, but if I asked my friends from my home league, the guys that I play in a regular fantasy league with from high school, the guys that I play in a regular fantasy league, a season long league with from college, I would say maybe two out of 12 even play best ball or, or know what it is. It strikes me that it's hard to say it's early when you guys are running a $15 million contest, but I feel like there's still more season-long people to reach, or maybe they just don't want to be reached. I don't know. What do you think? Where do you think we are on like the curve of best ball growth? Super early. I mean, if, if we believe it's the, and we do, it's the, it's the kind of best form of season-long fantasy. Um, got about 30 million people a year, we think, who do a season-long fantasy football draft. And... When you think about that experience for so many of them, I'd say roughly half probably never come back after the draft. Another half that, that are left probably are never coming back after week five or six, right? If they're not in first or second. So many leagues get ruined and it just degrades the experience so materially by people not coming back, right? And I'd imagine 90% plus of leagues have at least one participant who's not checking their team after halfway through the season. Um, and for so many people, this can be a better experience. Um, and it's not, it's definitely not there yet. I mean, it's, it's gone from the, like the DFS players, the really hardcore fantasy players, and, like it's becoming more casual. And we definitely see those people who are, who are doing it, who are just coming in for one draft a year um, versus we've got some people who do four or 5,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're seeing more of the casual, but I think there's a ways to go and and a lot of opportunity between kind of now and when it is the format that they're talking about on air, when they're talking about it on ESPN or or kind of the casual, casual person is playing over the commissioner style with management league. I think at some point there will be that flip. Uh, I have an idea for recruiting more casuals. Get Josh Norris off the commercials. No more Norris. <laughs> no more. No more Norris on the commercials. We need. We need somebody big time. We need like a big time actor. We need. We need someone big time. No. No more Norris on the commercials. I've. Uh, I've got bad news. Given some of the the commercials I've seen coming, we we've definitely got him in a few. But uh, but but there's more coming, and, and there and there will be some with people you don't know. Uh, okay. For sure. We we've, we've got we've got plenty of new creative coming out this year. Good. I mean, it's definitely good for everyone to. Norris performs well. The people like Norris. (laughs) It's incredible. I was like walking through the airport and like there's TVs everywhere (laughs) and it's, it's Norris's face. I mean, I've known Norris for 10 plus years, just his face on every TV in the airport on underdog commercial. I was like, man, this is getting huge. Anyway, (laughs) just just following you around. (laughs) Anyways. um, Okay. So. If it's early for people, it's certainly early for us trying to analyze this stuff. And obviously, like Leone and the, our data analytics team is going through, went through the data from all the previous 
BBMs, Leone came up with the manifesto, which is like, if you're serious about this, you should 100% read it. We are still learning. It's still very early. We don't have huge samples of data on what we should and shouldn't do. I, I think this kind of content is good for you guys in terms of promoting the game and stuff like that. There is a line there somewhere, right? And people have said, hey, why don't you guys make up a tool that you can overlay on Underdog and it shows you what the best pick is here. It shows you what your stacks are. It shows you uh, what we expect to be left later in the draft. It shows you your exposure so far if you want to diversify a bit, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think about tools and automation around Underdog drafts? Yeah, it's it's a really great question, right? I think we're definitely, I mean, A, it's sports. There's always going to be, there's always going to be things that happen that have never happened before. Um, but we're definitely, it, it's a conversation we have often of like, you look at poker and poker has become much, in a lot of ways, a solved game, right? Obviously never fully. And, and there's always the human elements of it, but like optimal strategy gets solved. And yeah, there's game theory. And then obviously that changes. Um, but it leads to a game where a casual customer doesn't have a good chance of winning. And, and we want to make sure that that doesn't become the case. Um, so it's something we think about a lot. I mean, it's part of changing up the structure of prizes. Um, and I mean, you, I'm sure you saw, we recently re- released weekly winners, which is kind of a totally different game where it's the same best ball style draft, but it's your, you, you make money from winning in a single, in a specific week rather than winning at the end of the season and winning in playoffs. Um, and so that changes up kind of the, the solutions, um, mm-hmm. per se. So definitely something we think about a lot and, and want the game to remain fresh and interesting and a game that everyone's kind of on a, on a relatively even playing field with. Yeah. I, to me, like the line is off the actual draft applet. In other words, if I want to download data, if I want to uh, have exposure tools, if I want to have tools off of the actual draft applet, that strikes me as fine when people start having things overlaying on their draft screen that tells them what the optimal pick is based on ETR data or ETR rankings or, or, or whatever. That seems like the line you guys have drawn. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Um, I feel like other companies in the space had a chance to get in on best ball. You can go back and listen to what happened with draft and a bunch of other stuff. They just seem to ignore it. A lot of companies just didn't want to take it on. And I was thinking about why, and maybe it's because they didn't think the ceiling was that high because Obviously, in DFS, you're raking people constantly, right? You're raking people every contest they play, uh, and they're playing contests constantly. The tournament, their money's constantly turning over. You're constantly raking them. This is a bit different because you rake once a year, and the money gets paid at the end of the year. Now, I know you guys have weekly games. They're not as popular as the season-long games. Do you think that's a reason why other companies haven't tried this? And is there anywhere you see best ball going from here that might be a little bit different. I know you guys are innovating games all the time. Yeah. Um, look, our vision always has been um, to create a full suite of games, a full suite of experiences for customers. And best ball is a huge part of that. Um, best ball on its own wouldn't make for a great business. Right. Um, just, a, just a pure best ball site, right? Um, but people love best ball. They love playing best ball. We acquire a lot of customers, especially now in the off season who want to come in and, still be enjoying the NFL, which there's not really many other vehicles, really no other great vehicles to enjoy the NFL in the off season. Um, And think about the NFL and talk about the NFL. Um, 
And so it's a great way for us to get customers and it's customers who stick around. I mean, they're obviously checking their scores during the season, but they want to come back and play every single year or two. Um, so it's, it, it's really, it's, it's great for our business as it fits in with the other games we offer. And obviously the vision we have, we're going to offer a ton more. It all fits together. Uh, you mentioned other games that you offer. I have not been able to play Pick'em here in Colorado. I know people love it uh, in other states. It seems like it's incredibly popular to me. Is that something you guys expected or, or was that like in the plan to always come up with a Pick'em type game? Yeah, it, it's such a it's such a fun game, um, and it, it has it's exploded in popularity. It's just such a fun, quick, simple fantasy game. Um, you'll remember, um, or I guess you got into daily fantasy kind of right after the Star Street days. So yeah. maybe you won't remember, but in Star Street um, in 2012, we launched a game called Pick Five. It was the first ever single player fantasy game, um, single player pick'em fantasy game where there were five head to head player matchups. So each week, and it was your buddy Peter Jennings, our good buddy Peter Jennings. Um, setting those for for a long while and, and it, it made gaps sometimes there was a LaShawn McCoy or uh yeah LaShawn McCoy there was a tight end also or something right? there was an Alex Smith tight end and Alex Smith quarterback yeah. there was two LaShawn McCoys would would sometimes put up the wrong one and everyone would take us um for all our money on those but um it was five head-to-head player matchups so it's Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers who's going to score more points and um you make those selections. You can play for three for five to basically double your money or five for five to 20 extra money. So it's the first ever single player pick them game. And that's obviously evolved a ton from there. Um, but it, it gave us a taste. It, it kind of showed us that people really enjoy this quick, simple format, right? And, and we think about it on a spectrum, like salary cap DFS is a really hardcore time intensive game. You have to know the rules. You've got to commit to spending time. You're playing on a desktop for the most part. You're doing research, like really hardcore game. Best ball is kind of this mix of like, it's going to take you 40 minutes. You need to know a lot of players. I mean, you're drafting 18 players on your team. Um, but it's also pretty casual in that so many people do a draft. 30 million people a year or so do a season-long NFL draft, right? And then you've got daily and weekly drafts kind of in the middle of like, hey, they're five, 10-minute experiences. If you're picking five or six players, you only need to know the best players that week. Um, and then you've got this pick game, which is kind of the really quick and simple game. Um, and allows people to have fun experiences without a lot of time investment. Um, and so it was always a part of, it's actually part of the vision at draft. I mean, draft, we started with the draft based games. Um, and then, uh, we were building, um, and at the time it felt like the culmination of my 10 years in, in this industry at the time, we were building the salary cap format for my second time. We had obviously done that with, with star street. Um, and at the time I thought it was the best product that I'd ever been involved in building. We were about a month and a half away from releasing it when flutter, who was the owner of draft at the time, um, we had sold to them about a year prior bought FanDuel and the DraftCraft Forest Emergent of FanDuel. Of course, we weren't launching a salary cap product anymore to compete with FanDuel. Um, and we, before building the salary cap product, we knew we wanted to build the salary cap product and the pick'em games. And it was a decision of where do we go first? And we said, hey, we're now at the scale where we can run million-dollar contests every week. We can have a $5 million live event. Let's, let's build the salary cap game. Once we launch that, we're going to build the pick'em games. Those are, those are quick and simple. Um, and so that was the plan at draft. Obviously, we kind of that, that opportunity got taken away from us when we got forced to merge in a FanDuel and then FanDuel shut down draft. But as soon as we were launching underdog, I say, we're going to start with best ball because there's a gap in the market now. With that, we've got daily and weekly drafts and as quick as we can, we want to include this pick'em game. And now we've got this suite. And of course, there's a lot more to build and a lot more to come, but, but that was kind of the starting point for us at underdog. Uh, I'm excited for maybe one day Colorado to have pick'em because I actually think that um, I can beat you guys for a bunch. Uh, quite frankly. So yes, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I, uh, the, the, the ETR people are smart. I know you guys have good data there, but uh, 
but, but, but come on, come on and try. I'm curious to see. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wanted to get your take on the sports betting industry as a whole. Like my take has always been that on the surface, sports book is a better business than it seems uh, on the surface, right? Like the legal costs of running a sports book are insane. The lobbying costs are incredible. The taxes in a lot of States are like flat out crippling and make it almost impossible to operate. And it feels to me like a lot of these books are just trying to pivot people to iCasino, which obviously if anybody's listens to me, uh, I would recommend you never in your life play any kind of pick game or definitely not uh, iCasino. But anyways, I'm curious what you think of the, of the current state of sports, but we're like five years in now since past Papso was repealed. Any macro thoughts on the state of sports betting? Yeah, I've got, I've got a ton. I'll try, <laughs> I'll try not to ramble for the rest of our time on them. Um, I, I've always thought about it in waves and I've always thought the first wave is five years. And, and I, that, that's how it feels to me. I think we're kind of at the very end of wave one. Now we're transitioning to a wave two um, wave one was kind of passed, but was repealed. And it was a grab market share. Everyone had unbridled optimism and, and thought there was massive opportunity. It was really obvious to me five years ago. And I think this was a pretty contrarian take then that FanDuel and DraftKings would be the leaders five years in. A lot of people said, hey, what about Caesars and MGM? They've got 55, 60 million loyalty rewards. They've got customers, but it's a lot of grandmothers with a loyalty rewards card. That's very different than someone who's already playing real money fantasy sports, money in their account, a credit card attached to that account, already KYC'd, um, playing real money sports games. Um, and that's obviously proven true. I remember saying back then, I'd take drafts user base. We had about 350,000 at that time um, active customers. I'd take draft user base over the Caesars and MGM user base yeah. as a starting point here. I mean, I think looking back, that that looks right. Um, and right now, obviously, FanDuel and DraftKings are dominating. They're together are about 75% of the market. Um, and wave one was like the get on the rails phase. You know, it was bring the product over, bring the sportsbook product, and get into as many markets as possible. And that's happened. There's now 27 states, I believe, with online sports betting. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that part is, that part's mostly happened, right? And the product, the product got brought over from the UK and Europe. It's the sportsbook. And now Americans can bet on a sports book. Um, I think wave two is going to see innovation um, and see a focus on product and, and see a real focus. I mean, it, it's, it's our whole, our whole motto. And we started this business just over three years ago with the biggest ambitions, right? We want to build the biggest company in the space, but really simple thesis. We believe we can do it by building the best product for the American sports fans because the American sports fans are so different than who the sports book was built for. And the sports book, I think it's a good experience for someone who's who's quite hardcore who wants to be spending time who's taking much like the salary cap format game was in fantasy right it's a great experience for someone who's thinking about this really financially minded thinking of it as a profession thinking about making transactions but it's far different than playing a game obviously with underdog on fantasy we try to create games we want to we want to increase enjoyment with sports for people and we want to give people ways to express opinions on sports and that's what we view as our opportunity just to build games um, we often have this model of like games, not transactions. So we think there's a lot of room to innovate, just like we've always thought there was in fantasy. Um, there's even more in sports betting, right? To be a fantasy game, there are specific regulations you have to ad- adhere to it. It's got to be a skill-based game based on player statistics for more than one real world team. Well, with sports betting, you can basically do anything, right? You can have yes, no events. You can have single outcomes. There's a lot more you can do. And so a lot of people say like, why do you want to move into sports betting? It's tax higher. It's more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so we just get to build more and better customer experiences, more games for our customers. 
because in large part, they're the same customers, right? A real money daily fantasy player is basically one-to-one a sports better. And we know that our opportunity is to build a full suite of product and games for that customer. I've heard people say, and I'm sure you're in tune with this, like, we don't have any room to innovate because states are charging us 50% uh, taxes, like New York, people say, oh, it's like almost impossible to turn a profit in New York unless you're holding, you know, eight, nine, 10% on massive volume because the uh, taxes and licensing fees are so high and they blame that for the lack of innovation. We can't work on our tech. We can't, uh, you know, identify uh, and let people bet, you know, a hundred or $200. We have to limit them, et cetera, et cetera, because we're just getting squeezed so hard by taxes and licensing. How true do you think that kind of narrative is on the sportsbook side? I think it's mostly bullshit. I mean, our lower tax rates better for the businesses, of course. Um, but there's got to be that right balance. Um, and look, I think there's just a, a, not a lot of thought about innovation in this space. And, and, and there hasn't been back to the fantasy days and, and back 15 years ago, just sports fans. It's not a lot of people who have built sports fans, the products that they deserve in America. And we think there's, there's so much to be built for them. Um, and I assume you don't want to reveal any of these, any of these ideas you have right now, correct? I, um, I'm sure you could guess it plenty. Um, but look, for, for us, again, it's about, it, it's, we, want, we want to allow people to bet on sports and to play sports games, right? And the sports book experience is, is a great experience for the hardcore customer. But we think there's, there's better ways where customers can become confident and in, in really enjoy their experiences yeah. than the same sports book navigation and user experience that has existed for the last 20 years from when we, it came from off, offline to online. Yeah. Um, and so, look, I think when people talk about innovation in sports betting so far, it's all the sport. It's all within the sports book. And it's, it's pricing innovation. Same game parlay is like the biggest revelation we've had in American betting. That's pricing. That's not product. Yeah. Right. That's figuring out how to price correlation. Um, what we build will feel more like product innovation. It, I agree with you about games. I mean, some of the most popular sports betting stuff is stuff like the Westgate Super Contest or, you know, the Circa Millions, these like, uh, you know, pick five games against the spread and compete against other people. I also think that a lot of that comes down to Americans' insatiable need to try to turn a little bit of money into a lot. Like that's uh, that's not me, but I know that's like 95% of people are just looking to put up a little and have a very small chance, but a chance to win a lot, right? And so like games like and that, I think- It's a lot of the popularity of oh, the same game parlays too, right? right. You can bet a dollar and win a thousand and yep. put enough enough selections in there. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the game, the games element, I mean, I think it's spot on. If you just look at Americans, I mean, we, we grew up playing games because we didn't have sports betting. We, we've played all these different games and we think there's a huge opportunity to make it feel more like games. I'd be remiss if we're on the sports betting discussion and didn't ask you about limiting because my God, you cannot say one thing anywhere about American sports betting without people beaking and going nuts about uh, limiting. I am honestly fatigued by the entire conversation. I've given my take on it. But I always like to give people who are in the business a chance to give their take on the whole limiting debate and what's going on out there. For those guys who don't know what I'm talking about, at a lot of these American books, if you show any pulse, you get closing line value, you win a little bit, you're going to get limited down to, you know, five, ten dollars a bet or something like that. Jeremy, I give you the floor to give your take on the limiting debate. Yeah. Um, look, surprisingly, I think I I I see both sides, right? And I, I kind of understand it from both sides. As a 
betting platform, you've got to put up everything, right? And on a customer's perspective, like they just need to know one thing or pick out one error. Um, yeah. And so like, I get it. Like, look, if you're there, there's all kinds of different versions of it. Um, we haven't fully, we haven't fully formed our thoughts on it. And I want us to be really thoughtful about it because look, we, to succeed, to be able to offer great experiences to sports fans, we've got to have a healthy business. And if our customers are winning all our money, we're going to go out of business, right? So there's, there's a balance, of course. Um, I hope that we can do it in a way that is extremely transparent, in a way that people know what they're signing up for. And it's not a surprise to them um, when they are limited, if they are limited. Um, and they know why they're being limited. Um, and they've kind of opted into that by playing on the platform. That, that's how I hope we can approach it. I don't want to say we're never going to limit because we'll probably need to, because if we didn't at all, we probably wouldn't have a good business um, or a business that could sustain. Um, but I, I hope it is not in a way that our customers feel is unfair. Uh, I'll give some free consulting advice here to any sports book out there listening. This is how you solve it. It's so, it's so easy. If you put a line up, you have to be willing to take $200 on it, period. $200. You're not asking a lot. So everybody gets $200. It's posted on the site. Everybody gets $200. If you want more than $200, you can go ask for it. You can go ask the traders for it or, or, or whatever, and, it, and it'll go to review. Just give everybody a blanket $200. And I think a lot of this complaining would stop because 99% of the market doesn't even want to bet more than $200. They're getting limited after they bet $50 or $100 and they get some CLV. Next thing they know, they're limited to $5. They weren't even trying to bet a lot. Give everyone $200. If you want more than that, you have to ask for it. I mean, is that that hard? That, that feels, I don't, I don't want to promise anything, anything yet. Cause I'm not the one making this whole decision, but like, that seems really reasonable to me. I like that approach. Okay. Um, yeah. Miko asked how far are we away from underdog sports book? Jeremy hinted at some innovative games coming. Would he be interested in giving the people some alpha on the ETR airwaves? When can we expect the underdog sports book? Um, I don't want to give dates and I also don't want people to view it as a sports book. It's going to be a sports betting platform. Okay. Um, but Look, we, we made the choice very early on that we need to build all our own technology um, because what we're trying to build is different than a sports book. There's a lot of technology out there to build sports books. And when we launch our sports betting platform, we will be the only company to have ever launched entirely on our own technology. Um, and it means we go slower. We, we've got a lot to build. We go slower to get there. But we're taking a really long-term view at it. And, and we're really lucky to be able to because of the health of our business and the great investors we have take a long-term view because we want to be the biggest company in the space in 10 years. We're not trying to be the biggest company in the space tomorrow. Yes. And we've got to make these long-term investments um, in building the technology is, is, is the very top of the list so that we can build something that's different than, than others have. Because look, frankly, FanDuel and DraftKings, they offer great sports books. And even if we offered the same or a better sports book, like, we wouldn't, we couldn't win playing the same game as them. It's all the way back to the daily fantasy days when there were over a hundred real money daily fantasy salary cap companies over the course of the last 15 years. Well, FanDuel and DraftKings draft was different. It was a daily fantasy game that was different. And that's why we had some success. And it's just about it. Yeah. Um, right. It's, we see the same thing here where at peak, there were 60 different sports books in America. It was really obvious to us that again, there was going to be FanDuel, DraftKings, maybe a couple others that are okay or hang on and everyone else is going to fail. And, that's basically yeah. what's, hap what's happened now. 55 of those 60 are, are dead, or if they're not formally dead, they're walking dead right now. Right. I'm sure you guys saw the points bet uh, uh, deal and all that. And also, like, 
you know, there's gonna be so much more consolidation in sports books. I, I agree with that. And I think one thing that's like a warning flag out there, I mean, Barstool put all puts all their weight. I mean, and Barstool has a ton of weight in in marketing. They put all their weight behind Penn and they're still getting crushed in the numbers by by FanDuel and DraftKings, I, I believe in most states. So yeah, I mean, it's just really hard to penetrate. People like people say consolidation. I think that's the wrong word, and, and it's kind of an excuse for it. It's it's just failure. People yeah. people have tried to do the same things, and and not surprisingly, they're not having different results. I had a question from Michael. He said, "Are there any hopes of underdog coming to international markets, United Kingdom in particular? Is DraftKings withdrawal from some European markets a bad sign? What about underdog uh, overseas?" Yeah, we're we're really sorry to disappoint him, but we're, we're really focused on the American sports fan, right? We, we think there's a ton of differences from the American sports fan, from those overseas who grew up betting on sports. And our, our whole product is, is meant to be built for the American sports fan. So we're really focused on winning in America. Once we win in America, I think we've got the right to go do a lot more. While I have you, I got to ask you an off-topic question here. I got to ask you about the insanity that was various markets during the pandemic, I know you were really into uh, sports cards. I don't even know if you were into crypto or not. I know you were into Top Shot stuff. Maybe you crushed it and got out early enough. I don't know. But any any hindsight analysis of what was going on with markets during the pandemic and any thoughts on Top Shot specifically? I know you were vaguely into it, I believe, for a little bit there. Yeah, um, that was a fun time. That was a really fun time. I, I went back and listened to our podcast three years ago. And you asked me a similar question about sports cards. And I, I made the comment of, I'm not, I'm not into it. Like I'm not spending time on it. I grew up and loved it, and, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. But if I had time, I'd be there. And I think right now, if you, um, I think I said, if you buy a basket of like the right rookie cards, I bet you in five years, they're, they're five X or 10 X or something. That certainly was true for a moment. It was probably more <laughs> than 10 X. I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't, I haven't followed so closely recently to know exactly if it's reverted back down to still above there or below there or what. Um, but there was definitely a moment in time. Um, and so that, that was funny listening to me say that because I was right and then wrong. Um, I, I think there's really interesting behaviors there, um, both in sports cards and in, in digital collectibles and Top Shot being, being kind of that and, and Sora being the top ones, obviously. Um, look, we're at a time right now where that's obviously gone away in, in large part because of kind of the, the financial macro. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, I think it will come back and what it looks like, I think is it's a, it's a wide open question. I do think there's a fun behavior there that was in the process of being really improved by technology. And I don't, I think it, we go through cycles and obviously we're kind of in this phase, who knows where and where the bottom is and what, what the comeback is. But I, I would be surprised if there's not ongoing interest and, and elevated interest at times in, in collectibles. Um, but I have no idea. I mean, I clearly yeah. was very wrong and out of time it before. And I, um, I, I make the mistake myself where I get excited about the buying and then I just never go back to sell because that's not where I'm spending my time and I'm holding a bunch of stuff. So I'm yeah. still holding a bunch of stuff though. I've sold some of it when I can, but I'm, I'm holding a bunch of stuff and I hope it will go up. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure Jeremy doesn't have a sell button on his computer. He only has a buy button on his computer. There's, there's no sell button on his, uh, on his uh, collectibles, I don't believe. Um, <laughs> no, for me, it would be better off if there was more, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I was just like, you know, I best lesson for me was I don't need to chase every little thing that's going on in the world, and I don't, especially, don't need to chase stuff that I don't know anything about. Like, I don't know anything about 
crypto. I, you know, I, I just don't know anything about that stuff. And, and just because um, people are into it and making money doesn't mean that I have to chase, you know, every yeah, little there, thing. Yeah. There, were, there are a lot of lessons to be learned there. And I think a lot of personal reflection for everyone involved in a lot of ways and questions of kind of like when you see things that are too good to be true, they often are and, yeah. and understanding that and not just chasing and the people I have the most respect for in these different verticals are the people who kind of stayed true to their principles the whole time and might've been there the whole time, but weren't chasing the kind of the quick alpha, but really just kind of stayed true to what they believe. And they did really well in the up cycle, but not as well as some others. They've done better in the down cycle. And I think a lot of them will do really well. Like I do, I'm a believer in blockchain technologies. I'm a believer, I'm a believer in collectibles, um, but not in all the euphoria of, of both those verticals. Sure. All right. Before we get you out of here, I had a, a few quick listener questions first two are kind of similar from sergeant stogie he says when will we get underdog tier credits and then also from jay pitt he says any plans for a rake back or rewards program a lot of us dgens feel that this is the one major thing missing from underdog they want rewards jeremy will they be getting rewards um we are we're talking a lot about how we want this to be for underdog and community vip loyalty um and and how it all fits together um and how we can do something unique um that is better for better for our customers better for our business than the other kind of machinations of it out there um so it's something we're talking about but we don't have our plan set on yet okay dom says as a commissioner of a redraft league i'd rather host my league on underdog than any of the other sites, i.e. Yahoo, ESPN, et cetera. Any chance we can expect this feature in the future? I guess he's asking if you guys will be like a platform for standard season-long leagues at any point. Yeah, it's a great question. It's something we thought about a lot as well. Um, if we had unlimited resources, it's absolutely something we'd like to offer. Um, for us, it's just a matter of kind of priority and how it stacks up against other things, um, yeah. but not something we're actively working on. Okay. From George, he says, how does the algorithm work for draft slot placements? I've gotten the 12 slot three drafts in a row. Statistically speaking, there's a 0.06% chance of that happening. I'd have to check his math on that. But yeah, I, I think people need a, maybe a lesson on the random number generator because people are always saying, In, uh, Levitan got the influencer 101, yeah. uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, how, how are the draft slots uh, uh, generated? It, it's funny. It is. We we do get somewhat custom, frequent customer support requests of, of people wondering this. And I mean, you, you said it. It's a it's a random number generator. It's it's done in code. Um, so it's uh it's always a funny one to us. I mean, what what uh what benefit would we have from messing with that? That would obviously I wouldn't do anything for us, but it would also it would uh it would take away all the credibility of our business, and and we wouldn't have a business, right? That it's always a funny one to get. Right. And, and the other one that people always ask me is uh. After the regular season, you're placed into, if you win your group, you're placed into a new playoff group. How are those groups determined? Because people are like, oh, well, you know, I got into a league with 10 other people who had Jalen Hurts and my friends in a league, mm -hmm. and only one guy had Jalen Hurts, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, can you, can you quell their fears on how that's generated? Yeah, I mean, look, if it's, there are some advancements where are based on where you are in the standings and your points and, and those others that they're random and obviously if if we say they're random they are random okay yeah i mean on a lot of this stuff like people accuse you know DraftKings and fandle of crazy stuff all the time these are like massive you know hundreds of millions billion dollar companies like it doesn't make any sense for them to 
do anything that would mess with the integrity of the game. Like for what? So I, I always try to think about incentives when people start getting uh, their conspiracy theory hat on. Okay. Yeah, there, there, are, there are conspiracy theorists everywhere um, yeah. for sure. And, and this industry does not have a lack of them. Last one from Steve Poland. He says, what's next on Jeremy's bucket list of businesses to build? We know you're all in on underdog right now. As for me, you know, like I'm all in on ETR right now, but eventually I want to start a doggy daycare center, you know, just me and <laughs> some puppies, just me and some puppies hanging out all day. Yeah, under, underdog, underdog will sponsor it. You go do that. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we've got some dollars, some treats, some toys for you. We've got a bunch of uh, underdog branded dog toys. So you let us know and let's make that happen. Perfect. But after, after underdog sells for billions and billions of dollars, what's next on Jeremy's bucket list of businesses to build? There is uh, I have really intentionally tried to close that thought stream in my head. Um, it, it is underdog. I mean, this is, this is, I've spent 14 years now building games for American sports fans. And I have, I think we have the opportunity here to build the business I've always dreamed of building and, and the opportunity is endless. And it's exactly what the opportunity is exactly what I want it to be. Um, so I, I would be absolutely thrilled if, if this is my life's work and, and the company that I spend the rest of my life at and running. Uh, when you change your mind on that, you can come work for Levitan's Doggy Daycare Center and Racket Club. We'll be playing uh, tennis and petting dogs. So I, I think I think the Doggy Daycare Center is going to be part of Underdog and find <laughs> one of the offshoots. <laughs> That's uh, we, we've had the talk of like, hey, are there are there dog parks we could, dog parks we could go sponsor everywhere <laughs> or kind of how do, how do we bring more of the the dog piece of Underdog to life? There, there's there are there's things coming there for sure. Perfect. All right. Really appreciate the time. As always, if you want to be found, which I'm not sure you do, but if you want to be found, tell the people where they can find you uh, on <laughs> no, social course. or anywhere else. Um, Jer Levine, just about everywhere. Jer Levine, J-E-R Levine on Twitter and everywhere else. As always, appreciate the time. For Awesome. Jeremy. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. For Producer Luke. For Jerry, the most beautiful beast in the world who may be in some underdog commercials one day if I'm hearing this correctly. <laughs> I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.